Beautiful, amen? I tell you, that's just wonderful. Wonderful. I want to welcome you this morning and welcome all our friends from uh, Nairobi and Riru, uh, Kenya. Uh, Brother Aaron sang your favorite song this morning. I'll get 30 texts about uh, Jesus Messiah. Oh man, they love that song. And we love them. Thank you for tuning in. And those of you who are live stream, thank you for being here. Especially thank you for being here. Amen. We're in Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. It was uh, April 14th, 1970. There were two astronauts, Jack Swigert and Jim Lovell. And they sent word back, the actual transmission that they sent back. There was an explosion and oxygen that had crippled the spacecraft. It was Apollo 13. And they sent back the word, Houston, we've had a problem. Now, Hollywood turned that thing around in 1995, and Tom Hanks said, Houston, we have a problem. Now, whether you say we have a problem or whether you say we had a problem, when you come to Ezra chapter 19, uh, chapter 9, you really have a problem if you're 19. If you go to Ezra chapter 9, we got a problem. There's a big problem. You're going to see in 9 and 10 where there's a great revival that takes place. But before any kind of revival gets there, uh, there's got to be some ad admittance. There's got to be some conviction. There's got to be some confession. Uh, remind you again that God is more interested in building people than he is in building buildings. We've been studying the book of Ezra with the theme, Restoring Ourselves and Revival After the Pandemic. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's officially over with. Uh, the pandemic is over with. I'm declaring it right now. Amen? It's over with. So, let's move on. Amen? <laughs> Zerubbabel came and he restored the temple with stones and with chisels and with mortar. Nehemiah later will come and restore the wall with chisels and stones and masonry tools and all that. But Ezra is here 60 years after the temple has been restored and there's some backsliding going on. Not just a little backsliding, but a lot of backsliding. They got a problem. And so he's not using chisels and he's not using mortar. He's speaking to the people of God. Listen, we're never going to see a move of God until we admit we've got a problem. And there's still too many people in America saying, we don't have a problem. And there's still too many people in the church saying, we don't have a problem. But Ezra says, we got a problem. Now look with me. Uh, and, and uh, Well, let's read some of it. Stand with me if you would. Uh, Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. When these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests, the Levites, have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief, in this trespass. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed by the music. We pray, God, you'll add your blessing to the reading of your word. Thank you for this holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. May we not just say that, but, oh, God, help us to live that in our lives. Help us to uphold your word as the authority for how we live 
and the decisions that we make in this life. God, help us this morning to teach our young people and our children the precious word of God so that they won't linger in sin as these children did here. God, restore us. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We see rebellion and corruption is rampant. You could say Ezra is pumped. He's excited to be back, and yet it rains on his parade. It's raining on his parade there. Uh, by the time he arrives in Jerusalem, some priests and Levites and Jewish men, they had married pagan, idolatrous wives. Now, uh, as we look at this, the problem surfaced here, and the problem was uh, corruption among the religious leaders of the nation. It was the religious leaders. You see, they had been in captivity, but now they've been freed. They're in Jerusalem, and they've been freed from Babylon for 70 years. They're out of Babylon. The problem this morning is Babylon wasn't out of them. They were still hooked up with the ideals of Babylon here. And these men ignored the covenant with the Lord, their marriage covenant as well. Some of them went so far as to even divorce their Jewish wives so they could marry uh, a heathen pagan women. I think even, I know Malachi talks that God hates divorce, and God does hate divorce. But I want to tell you specifically, I think maybe God may have even been referring to the fact that he hated Jewish men who would put away their wives to marry pagan wives too. That's how much he hated divorce there. In Genesis 12, chapter uh, verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 28, 14, Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Let me tell you, God has blessed us because of his people. We know the knowledge about the true God because it's been through the Jewish people. We enjoy the written word of God because it was through the Jewish people. We have salvation. A Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a Jew from the tribe of Judah. The Jews continue to bless the world through developments, through technology, through agriculture, through energy, through medical discoveries. If you've ever been to Israel, you just stand amazed at what God can do through a little old bitty small country. That's the power of God. God's the one who's doing that. God's plan for his people was to bless this world. That's why the Lord said, I don't want you marrying pagan women because of their idolatry. That was the key issue. When you marry a pagan woman under the uh, 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 auspices of that, of that wife, that mother, those children would grow up. They would be under her teaching. They were affected by her beliefs. They were affected by her examples. They were affected by her attitudes. And it passed them on to their children. And let me tell you, the, the husbands were influenced also. King Solomon is a classic example of that in 1 Kings chapter 11, a man who was ruined by his marriage to pagan women. 
I don't have time. If you want to jot down and read it when you get home, Exodus chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. In Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 3, listen to it. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me. That's why. They'll turn away your son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. You see, the temple had been rebuilt. Hey, that's great. The church has been built. It's a beautiful church. Everything's good. We're going to come. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to have a good time. Just because the temple was rebuilt didn't mean they were worshiping God. The worship wasn't true. It was fake. It was facade. Listen, you want to know if you're worshiping God or not? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, oh no, we worship God. We come in, we raise our hands, we praise the Lord, we shout, we do all of that. Hogwash. Are you keeping the commandments of Jesus? Because if you're not, if you're not surrendered, the worship you're giving is fake. It's a facade. It is fake. And that's what they were doing here. Now, it's a command. Everybody will agree this. You can go to 1 Corinthians also. It's in the New Testament too that we're not to be unequally yoked. We need to teach our young people. Young people, let me tell you, don't marry people who are not saved. That's what the Word of God says. It says in the Old Testament, that's why they're in the shape they're in now. It says it in the New Testament. Amen? Come on now. Amen? All right. Let's forget about being spiritual. We're just a bunch of country hicks in this place this morning. Amen? All right, that's a lot of us are. Let me just say, let's just be straight. If God commands us not to marry an unequally yoked and not someone who's not saved, don't you think it's kind of dumb to date somebody that's not saved? Huh? Did you hear that, young people? If they're not saved, don't go out on a date with them. Listen to me this morning. Don't use your love affairs and marriage to try to do evangelism. You do evangelism and then you fall in love. I love and listen, they'll lie to you. Listen to me, kids. They'll lie to you. You nail them down. Are you saved? You sure you're saved? Oh, yeah, I've been, I've, I've been saved all my life. I was raised that way. Run. They're lying. They're lying. You ain't been saved all your life. There's none righteous. No, not one. I love it. We've been here long enough. Years ago, as Becky and I, I remember many, many times in this area because there was a great church here, in, not in this area. And we would knock on a door and we'd say, we're from Woodland Hills and we'd like to invite you to church. Well, we already have a church home. I said, well, that's, that's great. Where, where do y'all go to church? Well, we go to this soul church. I said, okay, great. I said, I, I can't remember that pastor's name. Oh, yeah. Oh. And they'd say, oh, yeah. I said, I think to myself and my wife, he'd been retired 15 years. <laughs> you know what they're doing? They're lying to you. They're lying to you. Listen, Houston, we got a problem. There was rebellion there was open rebellion against the Word of God. Now, how's that going to happen? How are we going to solve it? You're not going to solve it. Could I just be honest with you this morning? Parents, if you've got young people who are rebellious, 
and you think you're going to beat it into them how to do right, you're wrong. You ain't going to solve it. You say, well, what's going to solve it? The Holy Ghost of God bringing conviction. That's it. Listen, we've forgotten that God's in the supernatural business. If the Holy Ghost of God don't fall fresh and bring conviction, they're not going to change. Very rarely today do we see anyone who absolutely breaks down and weeps when they're convicted of sin. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was speaking to preachers and he said this. He warned his fellow pastors of the danger of dealing with sin and sinners professionally so that we lose our dread of evil. And he said this, what at first shocked us becomes commonplace and routine. How many of us sat last night and watched things on television that 20 years ago we'd have turned red and blushed and throwed a shoe at the television? But it's become commonplace. It's just normal. No problem. So how do we deal with it? We're desensitized towards sin and we don't have the proper response to it, whether it be our sins or whether it be someone else's sins. So how do we deal with it? Well, number one, Ezra dealt with it by the word of God. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. You see, he, he, he'd already decided, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be true. I'm going to teach the word of God. I'm going to read. I'm going to. In fact, we call him today an old leather lung firecracker hellfire brimstone preacher that had a saw log 12 inches around for a backbone and could breathe fire and spit at the same time. He was that kind of guy. Listen, we're never going to have revival apart from the Word of God. Until we get to the Word of God, there's not going to be revival. There's not going to be. Notice with me that he preached generally, but he also preached specifically. Specifically. Now, when you preach specifically, that's when preachers get in trouble. That's when the cold water committee meets and says, you know what? He's been here about long enough. He's, uh, I tell you, uh, meet me down at IHOP. Let's talk this thing over. Woo. See, if I could just learn to just preach three things, we could fill this auditorium up four or five times over Sunday. If I could just preach, hell is hot, heaven is sweet, and Jesus saves. I mean, everybody believes that. We could all, I don't matter who you are, we could all come in here and just have a great time. But when you start plowing close to the corn, that's when people get ticked off. That's when they get upset. I don't know. <laughs> Every person I read commentary agrees that Ezra had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, uh, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. He knew them by heart. He, that's what he said. I'm, I'm going to learn the law of the Lord. He'd been studying. He'd been studying. He knew those things by heart. I don't know how he preached. 
I don't know what that first sermon was like. <laughs> Probably Cam got up here and sang that song. Ooh. As far as the east is from the west. Remind me, Lord. And then maybe that quartet got up and sang. <laughs> and O.S. was sitting there just chomping at the bits. He probably got up and said something like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. They're shouting. They're ready. They're pumped. And then there's Adam and Eve. I mean, he just went through it. And then they fall into sin. Oh, me. You ever said, oh, me? My, my, my. And then maybe he talked about Noah's ark and the flood and the Tower of Babylon in Genesis chapter 10. Then he talked about God calling Abram out of the land of the Chaldeans. And he's talked about Abraham, Isaac, and, and they all set up straight. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's our fathers. We're proud to be of them. Amen. Preach it. They're clapping and they're shouting. And he talks about Joseph. Oh, Joe, they put him in a pit, and then they took him out and sold him into slavery. Then he went into Potiphar's house. Then he went to the prison. But God raised him up. What a mighty, awesome God we serve. Raised him up to become second in command of all Egypt. They're shouting. They're having the time of their life. He talks about the Israelites in slavery. God raised up another uh, type of Christ. His name was Moses. And he led them out of, of uh, slavery into the promised land. And they're clapping and they're shouting, let my people go. About that time, Holy Ghost bumps, bumped all over them there. They're fired up. Talked about the plagues, the frogs and the flies and the fleas. They're saying, come on now. The Passover lamb, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, they're, pop, they're having church up in here. It is good. The Red Sea, the water from the rock, the manna, the cloud by day, the pillow by fight. They're, they're, they're fired up. They're standing. They're shouting. And then he begins to quote Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 7, and Numbers 34. It got quiet. Everybody quit saying amen. Nobody's shouting anymore. I've been there. Pastors, whether we ask our wives or not, they always evaluate us the minute we get in the car. <laughs> I remember asking my wife one day after I had preached a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous message. I said, honey, how many great preachers are there in the world? And she said, one less than what you think. <laughs> can, can, you, can you see Ezra going home and saying, honey, what, what, what happened? They were with me. They were saying amen. And, 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 and I, I, did I preach too long? Did I not smile enough? Did I look at the wrong people? What in the world? Along about 2 o'clock that afternoon, there's a knock at the parsonage door. What he doesn't realize is that his preaching had gone from being general to specific. 
<laughs> you see, when you get really right with God, you think your sin's worse than everybody else's. Hmm? And, and, and <laughs> I don't know how many times I, 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 I was shaking hands and somebody said, Preacher, <clears throat> you've been reading my mail. Preacher, did my wife call you this week? <laughs> no. The Holy Ghost of God can take a general and zoom it in specifically. And that's exactly what's happened here. Those men, those Levites, verse 2 says they have taken their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. You know what they begin to do? They begin to confess sin in the third person. How many of you know it's easy to confess sin in the third person? Brother Aaron did this. Evan did that. Buddy was over here doing this. You see, it's easy to confess sin in the third person. But then, look, look at the last verse, last sentence of verse 2. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. Mm. They changed from confessing sin in the third person to saying, Ezra, what the real problem is is right here. It's with me. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's me, O oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Now, unless you think, well, this is, preacher, this is leaders here. This is pastors and staff and ministers. Uh, hello, Father, you're a leader. Hello, Mother, you're a leader. This is for all of us. I'm not talking about confessing sin in the third person. I'm talking about confessing sin myself. And then... The Bible says there, there comes a time of weeping, of weeping. Verse 3, when I heard this thing, this is Ezra, I rent my garment and my mantle. He's not the one doing the sin. He's just heard about it. I rent my garment and my mantle, plucked off the hair off my head and my beard, sat down astonished. It's February the 17th, 1739. George Whitfield, who would become a tremendous evangelist, preached his first ever tent revival. It was in a coal mining town, Bristol, England. And the same thing happened back then that happens now. When we have a revival, there'll be people who come straight from work. They've, they've worked all day. They don't have time to go home. They come. We try to feed them a little supper, and then they go to the revival service. Same thing was happening. These coal miners were getting off work, and they were going straight over to the tent. And they would be dirty and soot and black it's all over them there and everything and Whitfield wrote in his biography this listen to it I knew God was working because I could see white gutters on the faces of those miners the tears would flow down their faces and dissolve the soot and the dirt and it would be like white gutters on their faces God asked me this week, when's the last time that ever happened to you? I mean, when's the last time 
So I'm going to ask you. It's not right for God to ask me and me not ask you. When's the last time that you were so taken in by your sin, you were so astonished, you were so appalled, you were so devastated, you were so decimated, you were done in that you wept before the Lord. said, my God. Verse 4 says, then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled you say, preacher, what does that word tremble mean? It means just what it said. They trembled at the words of God of Israel. Because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifices. Could I tell you, you know this, I love those services where we're shouting. I love those services where we leave here saying, wow. And everybody's patting each other on the back and giving them noodles and high fives and hugging and shaking hands. I love all of that. Rejoicing in the Lord. But could I submit to you that maybe sometimes we ought to leave this place brokenhearted in anguish, done in, I mean, does it, does it bother you that more people are not being saved? People all around us lost. The fields widened to harvest. They're heading off into eternity. And nobody weeps. Does it bother you that families are going through so much turmoil? Husbands and wives bitter and, and angry toward each other. Marriage is crumbling. Babies being murdered, not when they're first conceived, but up until the day that they're very born, they're being murdered. Does that bother you? Where's the tears? The perversion. Our young people. Listen, young people, if it was right in the Word of God, it's still right in the Word of God. Nothing's changed. The immorality, our world conditions. <laughs> China now has built the largest army ever on the face of the earth. And we're concerned with Dr. Seuss. Does any of that bother you? Well, well, Ezra was so steeped in the word of God and the history of God that he knew, he didn't think, he knew that unless the people repented, God was going to destroy them. And I'm just telling you, don't blame the preacher. I'm the messenger. But I just came to tell you this morning, if you're living in unconfessed sin and you're saved, God's going to whip the daylights out of you. And if he don't whip the daylights out of you, you got a bigger problem than that. That means you're lost. You're illegitimate. I mean, what, what would you think? You blame the preacher if you want to. What would you think if you went to a doctor and he said, well, I've discovered after the MRI and all that you've got cancer. But I'm going to give you a hug, take two aspirin. You're going to be fine. What would you do if your house was on fire and you called the fire department and the fireman got there and he said, well, I'll tell you, uh, it's going to burn itself out. Don't worry about it. 
What would you think if you got mugged by some kids and, and, and the policeman gets there and, well, boys will be boys. You said that's not the right response. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me this morning. It's not the right response for a preacher to stand here and say you can live any way you want to live and everything's going to be all right in the end. I'm telling you, it's not. There has to be a time of conviction. There has to be a time of confession. And it's a somber, it's a, an anguished time, it's a brokenhearted time. And I'm not going to leave you that way. I prayed about that. I can't do it. I can't do it. Ezra begins to pray in verse 5. Listen to what he says. You see, when you begin to be convicted and you confess, what it does is it throws you into the undeserved mercy of God. <laughs> so I'm not going to leave you depressed this morning. Now, you can be depressed if you want to, but I'm going to give you a way out. Listen to verse 5. At the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, having rent my garment and my mantle. I fell upon my knees, spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And I said, oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass has grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we our kings and our priests been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to the captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. And now, for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. Listen here now. But hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof. And to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. The Bible says in verse 5, at the evening sacrifice, at the evening sacrifice, perhaps, I don't know, but perhaps the smell of the sacrificed encouraged his heart that God had made a way. Perhaps as he's there in, in anguish before the Lord and suddenly the sacrificial odors and the smells of the animals being offered up on the burnt offering, maybe he, he remembered the prophecy that a Messiah was coming. And even though they're shedding blood for animals now, 
Maybe he caught a glimpse that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Maybe old Elijah started to just maybe shout just a little bit. My soul, my soul, his grace is sufficient for me. His grace always supersedes anything. And I want to tell you this morning, if the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you, you're not walking with God, I don't have time this morning, uh, but, but I'm going to tell you, don't, don't, just, don't just flippantly wax over this. Don't do that. We, we talked here about the fact that uh, uh, they were marrying, and you said, well, preacher, I hadn't married. I, 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 I hadn't done that. I'm all right. No, the real truth is they were talking about lining our lives up with the Word of God. And let me just get specific. I mean, you're already mad anyway, so let me just get specific. If you're sitting here in this place this morning, and you've got family members that you don't talk to, I'm just telling you right now, you ain't right with God. You say, well, they won't talk with me. Well, now, that's a whole total different thing. But you make sure it's not on your end. Because you say, well, they didn't. No, 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 no. The Bible says if you won't forgive those who have erred against you, why would God forgive you? I'm talking about lining our lives up with the Word of God to have real revival. Boy, if we ever needed it, coming out of a pandemic, that's what we need. We need God to flood this place, not just this, every place, with the Spirit of God to bring conviction that leads to confession. I've always said, everybody don't agree with it, they laugh at me, but I think people always go through three stages before they get saved. They go through a stage where they get mad. You're here this morning, you're lost, and you think, that preacher got the nerve to tell me that. I'll tell you right now, when I get out of here, you're mad. You're mad. But then, when you get out of here and you think you're going to run, the Holy Spirit of God is going to get a hold of you. And he's going to bring conviction. And you're going to go from mad to being sad. Now, you can linger there. But don't linger very long. Because if you linger too long, you'll go from sad to being mad again. And God says, my spirit's not always going to bear witness with your spirit. The right progress is to get mad. Go ahead and get mad. If you're mad this morning, say, I'm mad. And then let the Holy Spirit bring conviction and you get sad. And then you answer the Lord Jesus Christ and you get glad. Mad, sad, glad. Whoo. And you can leave this place saying it's been great to be in the house of the Lord. Father, would you just speak to our hearts today, Lord Jesus? God, I pray this morning for every person that is listening. Lord, whether they're in this place or whether they're on live stream. Lord, I pray this morning that your spirit would speak to us, Lord Jesus. That we would not just sweep this under the rug. But God, our hearts would be heavy. I pray these altars would be filled with people that are saying, Lord, I'm, 
I, I'm, I'm not right, Lord. I'm not talking about my brother. I'm not talking about my sister. I'm talking about me, Lord. I need you. I need you. God, I pray this morning for those in this congregation that are lost. They don't have you as a personal Savior. Save them this day before it's too late. Those that need a church home, those that need to be baptized, those that just maybe need to go to somebody here and apologize. Lord, whatever you need to do, would you take our lives and just do with us what you want to do? In Jesus' name, amen.